Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You can't handle the truth in movies. Today, The Mummy. Cruise Blues as reviews call new film a snooze. We ask, is The Mummy far and away Tom Cruise's worst movie? And what's his best one then? And why is it cocktail? Next, with Mummy a relative failure, we check out Cousin Rachel. Will that be an anticlimax as well? Plus, we bring you Film Club on the very great Ghost World. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. On today's Truth and Movies, David Jenkins is with us. Hi there. Adam Woodward's here. Hello. I'm here, and so are you, listener. Thanks for that. I've had lots of correspondence from you, especially if your name's Art. Art says he, he wants to know what our favourite movies are in each of the major movie genres. Quite a big question, that. Wow, that is huge. Yeah, we'll get on to that one, Art. He does say his favourite horror movie, for example, is Psycho. Yeah? Mm, that's a decent choice. Well, yeah, it certainly is. Elliot Newton shares our qualms about the use of World War I in Wonder Woman. Eamon Byers has an important point to make. He says, I've been listening to this podcast since episode one. However, can I plead with you and the world, stop calling a film a remake when it merely adapts the same source material. Sophia Coppola's The Bagard is not a remake of Don Siegel's film, also called The Bagard. They are rather both adaptations of the same novel. Uh, is Justin Kurzel's Macbeth a remake of Roman Polanski's film? Of course not! Exclamation mark. Semantics. Yeah. Semantics. I'm not sure. I think no? Eamon's right. No, oh no, yeah, he is. I was just being glib. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> My mistake. Um, There's the thing here. Oh yeah, Wonder Woman update from Adam. Adam. Yeah, n- nice bit of trivia. I found out that the, the guy who uh, first invented Wonder Woman back in the 40s, uh, William Morton Marston, mm. also invented the polygraph test machine. No way. Which I think is the reason behind the lasso of truth. Right, that's in so interesting, film. isn't it? Yeah. That preoccupation with uncovering the truth that ran through... His Wonder Woman work manifested itself in an actual physical invention. Yeah, he must absolutely. love tools that make people stop lying. Yeah. I mean, that's, I wonder what that is, if there's a, if there's a word for that. Sounds like you're that. going somewhere, David. Well, maybe. Right. Um, anyway. Anyway. I know where you were going Thursday, because we went together to the very big IMAX in Waterloo to it see... It was a little field trip, wasn't it? It was. Mm. Adam was there, and we saw... Uh, some really vintage Tom Cruise, back to his best. That was in the trailer for American Maid, which will be coming out soon. But after that, The Mummy started, and we'll be talking about that after this. The Mummy. Our suspicions were aroused, Adam, when we entered the foyer 
and discovered that this eve of scheduled release preview screening was accompanied by free hot dogs and beer. What does that mean in in film reviewer terminology? It's sort of shorthand for it's a bit of a stinker, Mm. so we're going to ply you with alcohol and free food. Dogs before the dog. Exactly. So what is the film? Uh, The film is Universal's uh, attempt, I guess, to reboot the Dark Universe franchise. And this is the first film we're getting in that, in that series. And Tom Cruise plays a kind of cheeky, chappy, looting type who, on a mission, a sort of mission to find some buried treasure in uh, Iraq, present-day Iraq, unearths a curse, which we sort of know how this goes. If, if you've seen the 99 uh, Mummy film with mm. Brendan Fraser, you sort of know how the story goes from there. And, yeah, it, it, but the film goes off in a very, I think, a very strange direction from that point. Do you? Mm. Right. OK. What, what, in what way strange? It's like it baffled me a bit, this. After The Mummy rises and begins her sort of rampage. I mean, basically, the, the backstory for the mummy is that she wants to uh, raise the, the Egyptian god of death. Mm. Um, and Tom Cruise is the sort of vessel, the human vessel for that. Although it doesn't really make all that much sense in that what she actually wanted in the first place was kind of power over her kingdom mm. in ancient Egypt. That doesn't exist anymore. So it's, I, don't, I didn't really follow the logic there. That I think she's just supposed to be evil incarnate and right. that's I think she wants power know. yeah yeah. who um, doesn't yeah you well, do yeah. I want power yeah. but okay so you were left a little bit confused by the, the logic and good luck with that of this film which certainly goes off in many different directions all sorts of influences there there's very much a kind of archaeologist indie thing there were clear notes of uh, American Werewolf in London that come in the biggest thing I felt at the start. I don't know if you've ever played the terrific video game Uncharted featuring Nick Drake. The folk artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is Nick Drake, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, the early scenes in the film look like um, an edition of Uncharted. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what I would say actually on, on the action, if you go in into this expecting a big meaty Tom Cruise action blockbuster I don't think it necessarily delivers on really? that I thought I thought a lot of the action was shot pretty poorly a lot of it's very close up the camera's like right in your face it, it's supposed to put you in the action but actually it kind of blocks you from the action uh, although uh, there is one I mean the standout scene in the film for me is the zero grav bit in the aeroplane yeah they've been quite keen to tell everyone they took 62 takes to actually and nail the, and all the crew threw up all the crew threw up except Cruise except Cruise right I feel with that scene that mm. it, even that scene, I thought, oh, this feels like very rote Tom Cruise. I, I feel like I've even seen him do that scene before. And I don't instantly recall if he has done zero G stuff before, but it felt like he had. And it felt like this was this was really a kind of, mm. oh, yeah, let's let's just go up and down in a plane for a bit and film it. The problem was that, in a sense, the whole film was lacking gravity. Now, in, in terms of <clears throat> there being a, a threat of the Egyptian god of death coming back and not making life pleasant. I didn't buy it, frankly. No, no. No. There wasn't a sense of danger particularly. No, I mean, I, f- I found the, the whole thing quite... I mean, uh, you know, props to Adam there for um, sort of praising the plot because, I mean, I, I was trying to write about the film last night and I found it quite difficult because, I mean, in essence, it's a very simple plot about, like, a guy who has to kill the mummy who is evil and she's kind of wandering around and they're kind of being drawn together for some reason. Um, and... It feels on a sort of micro level so incoherent. Mm. The, the motivations for why people are doing stuff to whom and, and why people go to certain places, why people make certain choices, and none of it really sort of right. scanned for me. Sorry, I, um, w- I must admit, watching it, I was wondering why I cared so little about the outcome. 
There are certain scenes that, if you saw the pictures, you think, well, that could be quite spooky. And I thought at the time, well, it's the music, which because it's a big, noisy film, this, and the music's relentless, and it kind of kills any chance for atmosphere, I think. But I was reading somebody else's review, and they made the point that precisely because Universal have gone for this dark universe franchise kind of park thing that they want to start, and interestingly, apparently, Bride of Frankenstein and Invisible Man already in pre-production. Invisible Man's ironically going to feature Johnny Depp. So, yeah, the point that this other reviewer made was that basically this film has been given the task of setting up a platform for where all those backstories come in. And one major character makes his largely irrelevant appearance in this precisely just to kind of set up this whole notion of of there being you know various temples they're going to hang the whole thing around back to you sorry we shouldn't mention who that character no, is we shouldn't. because because it is a bit of a secret i didn't think it was a very interesting or fun secret frankly mm. it was a silly secret they're trying to hide who that character is but hey. yeah i mean it's interesting about this whole like universal multiverse thing they're trying to sort of make happen i mean if you look back at the original universal monsters films they're actually really they're really slow and stately and atmospheric and they don't rely on sort of special effects. I mean, it, re- it relies on kind of these, you know, hammy but really fascinating performances. Mm. One of my favourites of those monster films is um, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. I don't know if you've ever seen it. I'm not. It's an incredible film. I mean, I hope that is on the kind of the roster of remakes because it's a really simple film about this crew stuck in a boat in a pond and there's a, there's a, a kind of sea beast in the pond who's at night dragging them down and killing them and I mean it's it's just brilliantly simple mm. and you know it's this idea of we're here and there's something strange down there that we can't see right I think one of the things that this film does really badly that, that the original Universal Horror Films does so well is this idea of you know there's something strange we don't know about or can't see it's a film without any kind of tension. But they basically, ironically enough, have displayed zero understanding of what made those classics classics in the first place. Indeed. I mean, with the original Mummy, mm. I mean, I'm, I'm, the original Mummy is actually not one of my favourites of those early films. The Mummy is a kind of slow, lumbering thing, and, mm. and, and it is in that original film where it's, it's, you know, less so here. But it doesn't have any of that kind of, you know... Creepiness? Th- creepiness, but also, like, if you didn't know... That this was kind of based on sort of some a classical source material, mm. you you would never guess it. It feels like a very rote, effects-driven blockbuster. So you liked it then? No. <laughs> right. Deep, okay. Now that it's become a, a bit of a blight on modern blockbusters, this extended universe building. Right. I mean, this feels like a film that was made by committee. I think it had six screenwriters. It is quite baffling mm. in, in a, in a Including lot of Including Christopher McQuarrie, who's done a lot of rubbish, but also The Usual Suspects back in the day. Yeah. Do you think that any of this extended universe will ever see the light of day? That Are they actually going to make any more of these films, or well, do you think this one will kill it off? Bride of Frankenstein, I think, is the next one on the, on the docket, and that's not due out until 2019. If this one tank, if the mummy tanks, then they may well have to right. revisit that. And it's been called the worst Tom Cruise film i don't think it's a bad film i think it's a confused film and it suffers because well it suffers under the weight of having to essentially set up this idea of you're going to get more of these types of films Mm. here's a few characters that you might get to know a bit better later on well here's here's the uh the groundwork for this universe here's the rules that that are going to dictate this universe right tom cruise himself is reliably good in this no i think it's it's saving grace and what I found maybe a little bit weird about calling it the worst Tom Cruise film 
I mean, it's a bad film with Tom Cruise in it, but I mean, I think there is a sort of like low bar that this sort of mm. maybe hovers around. If somebody had never seen a Tom Cruise film, and there's now 37, is that right? 37 films? Mm-hmm. Wow, it's a lot. Which one would you point them towards? Hmm. Actually, there's two that I really enjoy. Mm. Is um, Martin Scorsese's The Colour of Money. Right, really? Where he's a, a kind of pool shark. Yeah, he's a hustler and with a hustler. the original hustler. Ind- I thought that was a really dull film. Oh. Did you tell me the other one? Oh, wow. Okay. M- moving swiftly on. <laughs> oh, no, you got Sorry, dude. No, Collateral, the oh, Michael yeah, Mann yeah. film. I think he's playing more against type, uh, signified by the fact that he has grey hair in it. Right. He's this sort of like shady operative mm. uh, who gets in Jamie Foxx's taxi and is fought and who forces Jamie Foxx to kind of take him around LA at night and it's very atmospheric and he's kind of evil in a in a really interesting way that you yeah. don't really see Tom Cruise be evil. Michael Mann of course the helmsman for that picture. Yes. And it's, he's worked with some great directors. Oliver Stone born of the, on the 4th of July which which I I think has got to be right up there in terms of the Cruise canon. Spielberg? Spielberg did Minority Report, which is another of his, his better and ones. And War of the Worlds. Um, War of the Worlds. Oh, War of the Worlds. Which Possibly a rather like. less... <laughs> yeah. I, I think War of the Worlds is probably my favourite Tom is Cruise it? film. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. What about Rain Man and Top Gun? Yeah, I'm not so big on the early ones. Well, not even Rain Man. Rain Man. Barry Levinson. Less said about Rain Man, the better, I think. Really? Yeah. Okay. What about, and here's one I've not seen. In fact, <clears throat> reading a list of his films yesterday, it actually became swiftly a, a list of films I wanted to see. I've not seen Risky Business. I've right? not seen Risky Business either. Oh, well, we should do that for a future film club. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've not seen A Few Good Men, one of the most quoted films in contemporary cinema. I mean, you've seen the best bit, though. Have I? Yeah. With Jack Nicholson? Yeah. Yeah. We're also forgetting, and I think we would get a little slap on the wrist for not mentioning this, actually... I didn't mention it because it's been so long since I've seen it and I do it's what a film that I'm always keen to see again is Eyes Wide Shut oh right where he plays this sexually frustrated guy who goes into a world of masked orgies mm. Kubrick of course he, when you mention the directors indeed yeah, yeah so it made me, made me think of that um, and we also haven't mentioned Jerry Maguire when you're talking about quoted dialogue Two of the the most popular lines ever there. And Magnolia, Paul Thomas That's Anderson. That's another one, right. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's done a so, fair bit of uh, stuff, hasn't he? There's a lot of stuff about how he is the last great movie star. He is really good, Tom Cruise, isn't he? I think he's what? amazing at, at being Tom Cruise, basically. Right. That is sort of his job now. You know, his job is to put his name to these blockbusters that essentially feel like they're being made around him mm. as, as the kind of the gravitational force that is at the centre of them. And yeah, I, th- I think he's pretty extraordinary. I, I can't think there's another major movie star around like him he's a brand i mean and um yeah i don't necessarily think that is in this case it's a bad thing i mean he harks back to a kind of bygone era in a way in that you know stardom is measured by box office Mm. and box office so erratic now that there's all these theories about the movie star is dead like you know if brad pitt can't hold a film on his shoulders and make it not yeah, I think he's wavering. Is he? I mean, Whereas Johnny Depp as well. I mean, Johnny, he, Depp, Johnny Depp's yeah. going through a long period. But of, Tom uh, Cruise can. I mean, this probably will still open really big because it's got Tom Cruise in it. I would say big rather than really big. I okay. suspect. I mean, I, I'm no kind of box office prognosticator type, but like, I have a feeling that Wonder Woman will probably like re- remain at the top, and mm. this will kind of come in at second place, and it will be seen as a little bit of a disappointment. Right. One thing: How good does Tom Cruise look at 54? Yikes. Scores for Tom Cruise at 54? <laughs> I think that's what I gave my, in retrospect, two for. Bingo. Yeah. Should we do scores? For the yeah, oh, good point. Okay, Adam, off you go. 
I would say two for anticipation. Mm-hmm. Probably a two for a enjoyment. Yeah, sounds fair. And probably a two for in retrospect. Yeah, or even maybe a one, I'm not I, sure. I would go for a one in retrospect. One in retrospect, yeah. I think I'd probably have a three in anticipation mm. just because we saw it after this raft of really quite negative reviews mm. uh, were released from the US. And actually that picked my interest a bit more, mm. to be honest. You always want to sort of think, well, can it be that bad? It's so, not, if we could borrow a phrase from Ghost World, so bad it's good. Mm. Which you thought maybe it would be. Yes. It's more kind of but it's so su- bad it's gone past good and gone back to being bad again. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, transcended that mm. model. All right. Well, we'll be talking about that ghost world business later on. But next, it's my cousin Rachel. I have written to you several times, but there is no one I can trust to take my letters to the mail. She is away from the house today. That's why I'm able to write this. For weeks I've been ill. Fevers, terrible headaches. But she watches me like a hawk. Believe nothing but this. She'll ruin me. She'll ruin everything. Look, Rachel, my torment. She has done for me at last. Whatever it costs my cousin, in pain and suffering before he died, I will return in full measure upon the woman that caused it. That's right, my cousin Rachel, Roger Michel's reboot of the Daphne du Maurier franchise Shared Universe, which also features Rebecca Jamaica in The Birds and Don't Look Now. It'll be fascinating to see how those all play in together. The du Maurierverse. The du Maurierverse. should do it. Yeah. What is this film? It's a kind of mystery thriller orbiting around these kind of ambiguous characters. Uh, you've got Sam Claflin as a young upstart who has inherited a big house and his cousin Rachel played by Rachel Weiss, together with his adoptive father, mm-hmm. who has died in mysterious circumstances. Mm. And there are some tiny, weird clues that make you think that she might have had a hand in it. Right. To- well, the film opens with the line, did she or didn't she? And that sets things up uh, for something really, truly melodramatic, and which never really arrived for me. What did you think? No, I agree. It didn't quite happen. It was a very. It was maybe a little too softly, softly for me. I mean, I think it's really interesting central concept of the kind of you know femme fatale character, mm. where you you know this guy who can't quite believe that a woman, you know, would do certain things to him, I guess, or mm. manipulate him in certain ways, because she seems outwardly so nice and so loving and so friendly and so intelligent and. His his almost romantic ideal, and yeah, it's a film that hinges on the, on an idea of a guy shifting from absolutely despising a woman to the point of wanting to murder her. Mm. Is transfixed upon seeing her instantly, and has a complete sort of meltdown, change of heart, and as uh, decides actually, there's no way this angel, mm. who's always dressed in black lace. Like she's on the way to a kind of funeral. Well, um, she, she is in mourning. She, she is in in mourning. So so yes. Um, but it's an interesting thing. I mean, it does play a little bit on that that suggestion that an independent woman, a woman making her own decisions, is essentially probably a murdering so and so. It's a frustrating film in that the Rachel Vice character is by far the most interesting thing, but you kind of have to tell it from Sam Clafkin's character's point of view because otherwise all the ambiguity is stripped away from her. And it's a film which basically trades off between the two characters 
in terms of who you're invested in, which side you're on. And I think ultimately you never really end up on a, on a side. It's, mm. it's kind of, I really wanted to like this film. And I was, I was with it for quite a while, but I think it doesn't really deliver much in, in the sort of dramatic stakes ultimately. Yeah. I, I agree what you're saying. And, and I think that the film, yeah, I think you don't end up taking a side. You have these two characters sort of in this kind of psychological showdown and you don't take a side. However, I've really thought the film wants you to take a side, which you kind of try to resist. I think, I don't want to say like too much more, but mm. like the film nudges you in certain directions with its kind of, I guess, looking at it now in the sort of context of modern politics, you know, it, it certainly wants you to sort of shift in a certain direction, I feel. Okay. But yeah, as you say, a shame because it, you really want to like it. It starts off with melodrama, ends with meh. Yeah, that would be my tagline. Yeah, yeah. And Rachel Weisz is, is an amazing actress. Right, she, she you know she gives a great performance mm. here. I think, um, and it's a performance which feels like there's a lot more there for her to give almost as well. It's almost like she. Well, it's a, it's that ambiguity which has to go through her, and she handles it brilliantly. You in your review, David, you say someone should make an infographic or some kind of sprawling visual chart. So an infographic, basically, which details all the times that Rachel Weisz has been better than the movie in which she's starring. I think there are quite a lot of actors who fit into this this category. And Rachel Weisz, I think, is increasingly becoming one. I mean, this is maybe more of a personal thing, but yeah, I've just found her great in a lot of movies recently where I haven't actually ended up liking the movie overall. Like, like what? I mean, the, the most recent example was, was the film The Lobster. Did you not like The Lobster? Which I didn't like at all. I, I, I found it quite a cynical and, and sort of a very sort of wantonly bizarre film that didn't really add up to much. But she somehow invested this very obscure character with a real kind of fr- fragility and humanity that I think a lesser actor doesn't really manage. I mean, mm. she she takes everything really seriously. And I think that, you know, the one major positive about this film, and I think ultimately makes it worth seeing, is is she really understands how complex this character is right. and tries to kind of get that across. Mm. She feels like a proper film actress, that mm. she's kind of doing things. She's, she's actually sort of communing with the audience a bit and, and actually trying to use expression and movement to actually change what the audience are thinking about. Would you call this a film worth seeing, Adam? I would say so. I mean, in this week particularly, it's probably the strongest new release. Okay. All right. It looks gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, it's a beautifully put together film. It's Mm. well directed, I think. The performances uh, are pretty strong throughout. There's one shot in particular of the kind of craggy landscape of uh, the old retainer Ambrose's face. There's one shot where there's just his profile his magnificent nose with Sam Claflin lounging about being kind of a bewildered puppy in the background. Yeah, no, it does have some really good distressed furniture, I think. Yeah. Really good distressing. Mm, good. All right. And a lovely field of, what are they, bluebells? Yes. That bluebell scene, that's gorgeous, isn't it? Uh, scores? I think three, three, three for me. Yeah, same, down the middle. Really? I mean, I think Vice's performance for me, you know, might nudge the enjoyability up to like three point three, really, but um, no more than that. Okay, I would, it really tailed off badly for me at the start. I was kind of rubbing my hands like oh, we're in for a treat here, but by the end, no treat. Yeah, which, as you say, Adam, is a shame. But hey, we move on to other movies, other views, and after this, it's a little white lies film club. Ready to pop the question. 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Four. Each week, we recommend a classic film, a film you may have missed, listener, or a film worth reappraising. This week, I do hope you've joined us in looking back on the 2001 cult classic Ghost World, which we chose because there's a new adaptation of another uh, Daniel Close graphic novel, Wilson, which is out this week. But anyway, this Ghost World, described by Little White Lies as the greatest comic book movie ever made, it tanked on release, only made $8.7 million. But it's absolutely terrific. I love that. This was my film of the week, no question. Is that a tank? Eight point seven million. Well, it, uh, to be fair, its budget was only seven million. That feels quite a lot for a film like this. It's, really, which is... I'd like to think that it's gone on to to do much oh, better. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, um, let's have some comments from you, the listener, Harry. Tommy Thompson says, brilliant film, intelligent and witty, but also leaves me feeling slightly uneasy. Johansson doesn't always make the best choices, but when she does, she's brilliant. A gloriously deadpan monotone delivery. Sophia Gawley says, I'm a huge Daniel Close fan. This is one of the best graphic novel adaptations ever. The casting was superb. Uh, Darren McMahon, this film introduced me to the great Mohammed Rafi, who provides the incredible music and the opening sequence. And Jez Garrett, best end credits extra scene ever. Thanks for pointing that out, Jez, because I went back and checked it. Um, Have you seen the end credits? Oh, God, I think I don't recall it. You'll Steve Buscemi getting wild in the kind of quickie mart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, so a lot of love for this film. People mentioned the casting there, which is terrific, Adam. Yeah, I mean, Scarlett Johansson hadn't been in that much up to this point. I think she, as a child actress, she was in a, a few things, but this is maybe the first sort of major indie film she was in. Um, Thora Birch, I think off the back of American Beauty, was a more established star, but the two of them are just an amazing double act in this, I think. Mm. Someone mentioned the monotone delivery of Scarlett Johansson. I think she comedically steals the show a little bit, but Thora Birch is, is also very, very good. Right. It's a film that works on this really amazing and risky dynamic, I think, where you have these two best friends who are, you know, there's a sort of subplot about how they've just graduated from high school and they're planning to get a flat together, but their plans change. And the film sort of sets them up as, as these best friends who are kind of very cynical and roll their eyes at everyone else. But then halfway through the film, they kind of they sort of drift apart. Yeah. And I think that relationship really encapsulates what's amazing about this film. I think it's a really upsetting film, actually, about, you know, 
growing up and realizing, you know, taking on responsibility. But this real feeling of these two people just drifting apart and mm. you follow Thora Birch's character, Enid, as she becomes ever more lonely and, and, and depressed and not really sure which way to, to go in her life. Right. Well, bittersweet is how you described it. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, if you want to bring that up again, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> well, because you mentioned taking on responsibility, which certainly Scarlett Johansson's character does. It's interesting that Sora Birch's one takes the opposite route and gets on that bus, which is a metaphor for something. And at the end, until that point, I thought this was quite smart and sassy. I realised, oh my goodness, this is, actually, this is actually really bleak what's going on here. What does the bus actually represent? Well, I think her desire to disappear and that. What is that? What is the film actually saying at the end? Is she going to top herself or what? I think that that is actually proof that she already has. She has topped herself. That's what getting on the bus was. I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is one of the great things about the film. I mean, it it works on all these kind of, you know, it feels like a straight realist comedy with a sort of satirical edge. Yeah. But then it, it kind of evolves into this you know symbolist drama about a, a young woman who may have reached the end of her life you know? right <laughs> you can read that ending in another way because she's riding off effectively into the sunset mm. maybe she's going towards a better maybe future for herself yeah. and she's escaping and and maybe it's, it's a slightly happier ending i think right. you can read into it depending on what mood maybe you're in when you're watching the film as well I noticed that Close himself was uh, very excited about the fact that they, they managed to avoid having bystanders in the movie just to kind of emphasise the feeling of alienation that really pervades it. And I enjoyed the mullet nunchuku guy. And I now wonder, not having seen this film before, the uh, similar character in Everybody Wants Some, double exclamation mark, the pitcher. Mm. Oh, yeah, nice. Is, con- is he a conscious homage to the guy in this film? That's an interesting connection. I definitely remember thinking that when I saw right. um, um, Everybody Wants Some and thought, would that be too obscure a connection to make? But I do think that the character, when he says, this is America, learn the rules. Yeah. I mean, you watch the film now and it is kind of a proto-Trump's America. Mm. This character feels like he has become a kind of American archetype now. Like, he is the one making the rules, you know? Right. <laughs> so... Bit bittersweet, I think, is the phrase you're looking for. Yeah, no, you're going you're gonna to hold me again. No, hold it's, that against it's me. It's just aren't a great you? expression. I don't know why it's not used more. Um, I, I love this film. It's definitely been my favourite film club film so far, even more than 2046. Oh, good. And that makes me wonder how you're going to follow that up next week. Now, luckily, we had an email from Susie. I will probably be lambasted or lambasted for this. But would you mind telling me why the movie with Nail and I is so celebrated? It's a movie I've always been pretty met about. And whenever I ask someone who bangs on about how good it is, they never give me a satisfactory answer. They usually just quote random lines back to me, leading me to believe that they only like it because it's cool to like it. Maybe you could watch it in your film club. Susie, that's a great idea. I am a little bit on your side of the great with Nail and I divide. So I'm going to be fascinated to go back and watch it again. Interestingly, somebody on your Facebook page, at Little White Lies, was comparing Ghost World to With Nail and I. And there is a, a strong parallel there. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's... Uh, I'm interested to see this film next... To revisit this film. With Nail and I. With Nail and I. Mm. In that it's one of those films that I think I watched a lot as a youth, as when I was like 14, 15. And Did it, you love it? Yeah, I remember really loving it. You know, all the tunes and, you know, set in Camden, blah, blah, blah. But it's also one of those films that I'm kind of slightly nervous to... Like, I loved it a lot back then, mm. but I kind of, you know, revisiting it now after all these years, going back to it, having seen all these other films, 
you know, I'm slightly nervous, if I'm being honest. You know, it does have this kind of amazing cult reputation, but I think sometimes these films, when you kind of put them under the microscope, sometimes don't bear close scrutiny and uh, Ghost World certainly does oh Ghost World I think is like that that was actually a similar uh, issue in that I'd seen it when it came out mm. and hadn't watched it for a long time and watched it again about a year ago and thought this is one of the best films of the 21st century whereas this one you know I'm interested to see how the, the Uncle Monty character has has it has evolved uh, shall we say right. um well, hopefully so, yeah. you are too listener because we'll be discussing that in next week's show what what else are we doing in next week's show Adam I think the Big uh, releases next week are Gifted, mm-hmm. which is a new Mark Webb, previously of uh, Spider-Man franchise fame. Also did 500 Days of Summer. Oh, yeah. But this is very much a, a weepy, sort of. Mm. I think it's slightly skewed a bit young. Family. That, that kind of market. They call it family. Yeah, I guess it's a, fa- a family film oh. with Chris, Captain America, Evans. And we're also going to be watching uh, the Whitney uh, Houston documentary, mm. which is called Whitney, Can I Be Me? Mm. By, no, Nick Nick Broomfield. Broomfield. by Nick sorry, Broomfield. By Nick Broomfield. And Nick Broomfield also did the Kurt and Courtney doc. I think he did the Biggie and Tupac well, doc. He as certainly well. did. So that would be interesting. Certainly will. Right. If you want to get in touch, you can do so via the Facebook page. Just have a look for Little White Lies. The Twitter address? LW Lies. Okay. Whereas emails? Truth and Movies at tcolondon.com. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for listening. Anything else you wanted to add? Well, I'm actually heading up on a train directly now up to uh, the Sheffield Dockfest, which is, I think, one of the UK's premier documentary festivals. So I'm going to spend the weekend hitting docks hard. Like a frisky sailor. Indeed, yes. And uh, the first thing I am going to see is a documentary on Brexit. Wow. Called Brexitania, which... uh, well, should be interesting. Yeah, they need uh, to update that in real time, don't they? I think they We're really do. We're living a documentary about Indeed. Brexit in many ways. Well, what are you most ex- excited to see up there, Dave? Well, do you know what? I, I don't really know too much about the stuff I'm going to see. It's, hmm. it's, it's really a festival of discovery. They have a lot of kind of smaller, f- more obscure documentaries there, and it's a real kind of... There are lots of films you've got to take a chance on. You've got to look at the picture in the, the brochure and think, oh, that looks interesting. Okay. But yeah, I can maybe... Uh, Talk about my findings next week. All right, all right. Adam, you're not joining us next week. I'm sadly not. No, there's there's a good piece actually uh, on the site currently about Docfest and particularly some uh, a trio of films which are looking at Syria. Okay. And the the ongoing crisis and conflict there, but very much telling a sort of human story on the ground there. And that's at the Little White Lies website, which yep. is what www.lwlies.com. Boom. Thanks then. Look forward to hearing from that and seeing you the week after, I guess, Adam. Hope so. And uh, many thanks for being with us today to you both and you there listening. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, this has been Truth and Movies, a seven digital production. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.